The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. We're going to continue on in our series that we've been uh, going through. And I'm going to invite my friend Shane up here, and I think we got uh, Connor and... (laughs) I didn't just batter you. I only batter Jesus, not to Shane, sorry. Um, he is. He is. Man. Oh, perfect. Because he is hot right now. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Man, Hansel's got nothing on you, man. That was great. That is good. That is good stuff. Um... Guys, Shane is one of our student interns here at the Inn. Uh, if you've been coming the last couple of weeks, you know that we have been doing a series where student interns have kind of done some teaching through some Old Testament characters, and Shane is going to share with us a little bit tonight about another um, person from the Old Testament. Um, but yeah, Shane is a senior here at UW. He has led Young Life uh, in West Seattle, which is awesome. What's up? <laughs> and... Uh, I'm really excited for what, what the Lord is going to share uh, through him tonight for all of us. Um, but yeah, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get going. Uh, Shane, do you, do you want a word to say to anybody before we uh, just want to thank Luke Munger for being here right now. <laughs> thanks, thanks, bud. Come on. We, let's, man, I'm so excited you're here, Luke. I'm excited all you guys are here. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray because we need it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so much that you're here. God, I hope that we would uh, experience you and experience your presence tonight, God, in real ways. I pray that people would be changed tonight, not because anything me and Shane say, but because you speak through us, God. And uh, God, I pray for real encounters with you, the living God of the universe. Uh, Thank you that you love us. We love you right back. We pray you in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. Let's get started. What if we told you there was once... I think we can get... (laughs) What if we told you there was once a baby born into slavery, ordered to be killed, but was saved by his mother? What if we told you that that boy, now a man, was raised by royalty, overcome a murderous scandal in exile, and encountered the living God? What if we told you that man would come out of exile, lead his people out of slavery, and part the waters of a sea? What if we told you that man would stand on holy ground and bring the law of God to his chosen people. What if we told you about Moses? If you take a step back and look at Moses through all of his positives, you would say, wow, this is an incredible man. I want to be just like him. I want to receive a calling from God and just follow it immediately. A man that was entrusted by God to deliver his people Stepping into that role perfectly, I want to be just like that. But what if we told you that Moses was the murderer? What if we told you that Moses thought his way was better than God's way? 
What if we told you that Moses took on more responsibility than he could handle? What if we told you that Moses learned humility? What if we told you about a real man with real struggles who encountered the real God of the universe? What if we told you about Moses? Moses was born in Egypt to Hebrew parents. Uh, as Manny and Becca talked about last week, this was during a time that the Hebrews were enslaved in Egypt. And they were, their labor was used to build like all the famous, some of the famous architecture that the Egyptians are known for today. But during this time of slavery, the number of Hebrews out, began, began to outnumber the amount of Egyptians. So Pharaoh decided to take action on this, and he decided to uh, make a decree that all newborn males would be killed, newborn little boys. Now, Moses' mother, for three months, hid him from all the people that were going around looking for these newborns. But after three months, she realized she wouldn't be able to do it anymore. So she took Moses down to, I think we have another graphic here. Yeah, just kind of like that. Took Moses down to the river, put him in a basket, and just let him go. Hoping that her son would survive somehow. Moses floated down the river and was picked up by actually the daughter of Pharaoh. And was brought back to their house and raised as an Egyptian with all the royalty and all the stuff that came along with that. A really interesting part of this was that uh, the servants that were used by that family to help raise their children, Moses' mother was actually one of those. So Moses' mother came and actually raised her son, even though nobody knew it was hers. Now, Moses was raised like any other Egyptian royalty, even though he was Hebrew. But he had influence from that Hebrew culture that his mother put on him. Uh, a sense of connection to his fellow Hebrews is evident. And we see that in looking at Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking at this, and looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the, he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me just as you, just as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Moses became a man without a home. He became, he became like taken out of the Hebrew culture because he wasn't raised with them. He had a completely different life. He wasn't enslaved like the rest of them. And he took this action to murder this person in his thought that was going to be helping the Hebrews. And the Egyptians were out to, to kill him because of the act that he had done. So he had no choice but to leave. At that well in Midian, Moses intervenes to save a group of women who were being attacked by men. One of these women ended up becoming his wife, Zipporah. And he spent 40 years living in Midian, being a shepherd, being taught how to take care of a flock being taught how to 
make sure they get water, food, don't wander off, and are safe. I would imagine this to be a very humble, like a very humbling time for Moses, a person who was raised in a palace, who was just treated like royalty. He was raised with princes and princesses. And now he's out in the middle of nowhere, herding sheep. That fall that he had allowed him to grow. Uh, but, and this is where we begin to see his transformation. When shepherding one day, Moses witnessed a sign from God in chapter 3, verse 2 through 5. Uh, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, as a shepherd in Midian, Moses would have seen a lot of burning bushes. He would have seen plenty of just kind of random things catch on fire, which is hard for us to imagine, but it was really dry, really hot. This wouldn't have been something that was out of the ordinary. But what caught his eye was that the bush was not being uh, engulfed and wasn't being, like, taken down. Uh, God went on in that time to explain to Moses why or what his plan was for him, that he wanted him to deliver his people out of Egypt and to bring them to the promised land. Moses hears what this bush is saying or what God is saying through a bush and goes, oh no, like I've already tried that once. I tried to intervene in this conflict one time and I ended up murdering somebody. I failed miserably. How could you call me back into something that I've already failed at? Then Moses goes to explain, you have the complete wrong guy for the job. Uh, there's no way the Hebrews will believe that you chose me after they already ousted me. How, why would you choose me? This is where God gives Moses signs to show people. He gives him signs of taking a staff and throwing it on the ground and it becomes a snake. And then he picks up the staff again or the snake again, and it becomes a staff. Uh, he, would, he could take his hand, put it inside his cloak, remove it, and it would have leprosy on it. And if he put it back into his cloak and took it out, his hand would be healed. Now, it's important that these, these signs that God gave Moses were not to show how powerful Moses was. It wasn't to show how great of a human being he was. But as a sign like actually is, it's supposed to point to something and point to something greater than the actual sign. And that's God. God was using this to show the Hebrew people that he was with them, that he was going to deliver them and they weren't alone in this. In a last ditch effort, Moses comes to God and says, I'm not an eloquent speaker. There's no way that I can like talk these people, convince them how to do that. I have a stutter. Uh, I forget what I'm talking about. Like I have a couple times already. Uh, guess you're going to have to find someone else. 
There is no way people will follow me. And I love this part. God's response to him in chapter 4, verse 11. That's not up there. Uh, (laughs) Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I shall be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Every insecurity, every concern Moses had, God provided for it. And he said, I'm with you. There's nothing to worry about. If I'm with you, what can go wrong? Uh, this reluctance to leadership, as Chris and I were preparing for this, we both kind of just saw how like relevant that is in our lives. And uh, as a freshman here at UW, a long time ago, I uh, felt like a, I felt a call to become a Young Life leader. I was a Young Life kid in high school. I met the Lord through Young Life in high school, and it just meant the world to me. And I thought, now it's my turn to give back to kids and lead them in following Christ. Little did I know that I would end up being placed at Chief South International High School. I grew up in Bellingham, Washington, which is not a very diverse area. And I walked on campus that first day, and I was like, I don't belong here. I'm not adequate enough. And this insecurity just began to come out. First off, all these kids looked older than me, but that's... (laughs) I had braces, so. Uh, Some of them probably were older than Yeah, they thought I was at the middle school next door. Uh, and, uh, but what was so, I forgot what I was talking about again. Uh, so as I kind of came and started leading, I just became so aware that I could not connect with these kids there were things that I had never experienced and they knew it and I knew it. And how could I, how could I walk alongside them without ever having gone through the things that they have gone through? Both Moses and I at this point were trying to fit God into our plan that we were so caught up in who we were shaped by our past and by our strengths that we did not believe we could be called into something unfamiliar and uncomfortable and especially have those turn into strengths. What God is calling us to do is to give our life to him, to be used in his plan. That's what he's asking of Moses. That's what he was asking of me. To not be worried about uh, being, not feeling adequate, to being uncomfortable, because if, his, if it isn't in his plan, then you're with him and he's by your side. This is what Moses did and he returned to Egypt. After performing the signs and the 10 plagues, Pharaoh released the Hebrews. They packed up with haste and began on this journey out of Egypt. Out of Egypt where they had been for 430 years. 430 years of slavery. I want to just think, how many of us throw, throw up a prayer that just you want an answer immediately? me. Uh, like, to be good at speaking. Uh, yeah. Or, or like if our, 
like our Facebook doesn't load on time or like things that just aren't immediate. You throw prayers up for that and you expect an answer. These people were in slavery for 430 years. Their grandparents, their great-grandparents, and their great-great-grandparents knew nothing but slavery. And Moses comes back and says, I'm here to deliver you. God is with me. Let's go. And these people, who I'm sure, you know, probably some of them feel abandoned, but they trust God enough to follow him. And they leave. But Pharaoh changes his mind and wants revenge on Moses, sending his army after them and cornering them at the beginning of the Red Sea. But as we stated earlier, God is with Moses and he helps him part the Red Sea, which is just incredible. And the Hebrews go right through it. And as Pharaoh's army follows them, the sea collapses on top of them. After getting through that, it marks the beginning of 40 years of exile, where Moses is tasked with guarding this new flock, that he needs to make sure they don't stray off, that they're fed with water, fed and have water, uh, just like his previous exile as a shepherd. Now, Moses is burdened with this title of leader. As a man, as a man who is supposed to lead his people to the promised land, and they haven't gotten there yet. 40 years of just not getting where they're supposed to be. People are upset. They're hungry, thirsty, and they're beginning to realize, hey, we had water in Egypt. We had food in Egypt. We weren't dying that often in Egypt. All We were working a lot, but right now we're just hiking forever. So maybe it wasn't that bad. Uh, and uh, they begin to talk to Moses about wanting to go back or talking amongst themselves about wanting to go back and abandoning this journey they had followed Moses on. At this time, Moses' sister had also just died. So he has all of this weighing on top of him. Uh, as the people gathered around Moses, him and Aaron retreated to discuss what was going on. Moses react. Wait, is that right? Yeah. No, we're going to read something. Uh, <laughs> in the tent, uh, can you bring up the numbers verse, please? Uh, in the tent, God comes to Moses and Aaron. Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from God, Lord's presence just as he commanded them. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will, you will not bring this community to the land I give them. Moses' reaction to 
being told to talk to a rock shows his humanity once again. These people are wanting, like they're about to riot. They're about to leave. They're about to abandon him. And God calls him to talk to a rock. If I stood up here and started talking to this music stand to like turn into a bird, you guys would just think I was crazy. And although you probably already want to leave, you would just probably get up and leave. (laughs) But that's what Moses is afraid of, of these Hebrew people doing. Uh, (laughs) uh, And (laughs) he wants him to talk to a rock. Can you, can you imagine what would happen if the rock did not turn to water? (laughs) What Moses would be left staring at? They would for sure leave. Uh, But this is like another example of how many times in our own lives we hear God say something and our reaction is, what? No, that would be uncomfortable. That would be, that'd be silly. I, I can't do that. I would look like a fool. I know I do that. Moses wants to show how holy God is and how powerful and how mighty he is by taking his staff and striking the rock. Being like, look how great our God is. And he's trying to save face of God in front of these people that he felt like he needed to help the image of God in this, which we don't need to do. But again, this is so applicable to our lives. I believe this is how, what we do all the time, putting our own spin on things to make it seem better. Like, hey God, good idea, but I'll take it from here. The final thing I want to look at is Moses' interaction with Jethro, his father-in-law and the priest in Midian, who comes to visit him while they're out in this exile and to see the work that God is doing after these people have been moved out of slavery. Uh, he witnesses Moses trying to, every day, fix little tiny things. Moses, the example he uses, Moses is the judge of every single little dispute that goes on amongst these people that they bring it to him, and it just bears on him. Uh, I'm going to look at Exodus 18, 21 through 23, where Jethro says, Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make you your load lighter because they will share it with you. Bless you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Jethro is saying that... (laughs) uh, Jethro is saying that God should be the final judge that Moses should not bear this on himself, that you don't need to worry about all these tiny things, and leadership should not be a burden. It should be uplifting. It should be freeing. It should be allowing you to lead you to greater things because we are not the end-all leader. God is. Uh, Moses should find trustworthy people to delegate his tasks to, that he shouldn't feel the load 
and he should be able to trust others because God is with them. Uh, it was his learning to trust God in this situation that helps Moses become and grow into a better leader. Uh, we need to give God, or we need to get, for God to give Moses the Ten Commandments that allows him to have these laws that he doesn't have to make these decisions by himself, that he doesn't need to tell these people how they should live. God provides that for him. Moses has more and more interactions with God and empowers him to raise up the next leaders, like Joshua, who would eventually lead these people into the promised land. Uh, I want to conclude with this. As Moses learned to be a humble leader and to trust God, he started to teach his people to be courageous and strong because the Lord had promised to never leave them or forsake them. Have fun sitting in that chair. It was the worst. Now, what if I told you that just like God created Moses with purpose, God created you with purpose? What if I told you that the things in your life that you're passionate about are no accident? What if I told you that God is for you and wants you to be strong and courageous? What if I told you that your story is God's story? What if I told you that God's story is ours? I was six years old. It was the first grade. Yeah, okay, get out of here. Yeah, whatever. Uh, six years old. It was the first grade. It was recess, and I was sitting on the playground, and this little girl, Laura, comes and sits next to me. This is a true story. It's awesome. Um, Laura sits next to me, and she says, hey, Chris, uh, why are you brown? <laughs> and... <laughs> And my sixth grade mind in that moment said, Laura, I, I don't know, I guess. My dad is black and my mom is white and black and white makes brown. <laughs> Duh. I was such a baller. I was probably wearing a Space Jam t-shirt. Um, clearly my teachers weren't doing their job because on the color wheel, uh, black and white are shades and they make gray. But... <laughs> When it comes to human beings, they made brown, and it's awesome. Uh, that moment when I was six years old, I realized I was different than everybody I knew. Uh, that moment opened my eyes to the fact that I was mixed. Um, everyone else I knew was either full black or full white or full Asian or full Indian, full Native American, whatever it was. Um, Native Canadian, I was in Toronto. Whatever it was, they were full, and I was not. I was mixed. And... That led to me dealing with one of the biggest struggles of my life with my identity and my race and, and how I identify myself. And I didn't know what to do. Clearly, I'm not white, so I went way off on the other side of the spectrum and associated with everything I thought culture told me what it meant to be black. Um, and it wasn't the best of situations. That's all right. But all that being said, it led me to struggle with who I was. And it was one of the biggest sources of anxiety in my life. I was never black enough. I was never white enough. And it was always difficult. Fast forward to my freshman year at SPU. Go Falcons. Falcon awesome. Come on. The Seattle Pacific University. Um, I was a freshman and just like Shane, except before him, I started to lead Young Life. 
Um, and just like Shane, I started to lead Young Life in West Seattle at West Seattle High School and Chief South International High School. Yeah. And I found myself at the time in the most diverse high school in the nation. Uh, this school was full of every race, nationality, creed there was under the sun. And it was in that time leading there that I realized that my whole struggle with identity, my whole struggle with race was something that now was not a struggle, but something that I could speak into, into people. And there was a call to be uh, working through diversal reconciliation and racial reconciliation. And this thing that had been the biggest struggle in my life was now the biggest passion in my life. 12 to 13 years of struggle the Lord began to redeem as soon as I let, gave that up to him and let him begin to redeem it. And now it's the biggest passion in my life. It's the thing I get, one of the things I get most excited about. And it's one of the things that Jesus speaks to me and speaks to the world, I love you, through. In Moses' story, we see Moses, uh, he's a murderer. But we see his murder come from the sense of this innate thing in him that wants to liberate he sees the oppressed, and he doesn't want to stand for it. He sees the oppressed and says, that is not right. I must take action. When Moses meets his wife, her and her sisters are being attacked by a group of shepherds, and Moses takes it on himself to protect them and save them. He sees them being oppressed and says, no, 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 because Moses is all about that action, boss, and he saves them. Then we find God come to Moses, as Shane, Shane told us, and he says, you're going to go set your people free. And Moses says, no, God, that's not me. But what have we seen? This is already something Moses is about. Moses wants his people to be free. He fought for it. He killed for it. And that became the biggest source of his shame. And it was the last thing he wanted to go back and interact with again. He ran away from it. He was gone from it for 40 years. And now God was calling him to deal with the thing that he struggled with the most in his life. But as soon as Moses began to listen to God and give up his personal burden, the thing that he thought he was not about, give it up to God, God let Moses live into more of his, who he's created to be than he ever thought possible. Moses was able to liberate his people through, Jesus, God was able to liberate Moses' people through him in ways Moses never could have imagined. And Moses was able to live into the thing that he was most passionate about all those years before. The liberation of his people. The freedom of his people. Guys, what are you excited about? What are you passionate about? What are the things that you struggle with? Maybe that's God saying, this is what I'm most excited about in you. Ask those things. See where the, these things that, that stir up life in you are coming from. Maybe these things that stir up life in a good way or a bad way. Who knows? There's this verse in, in Matthew that says, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake, for Jesus' sake, will find it. This is exactly what Jesus calls us to. It's exactly what Moses was called to, to give up your life. And as you give up your life, as you give it up to Jesus, as you submit it to Jesus, you're gonna find it in ways you never thought possible. It's pretty incredible. I want to hit on one thing real quick. M Moses, when he, when God first cried out to Moses, when Moses first heard the cry of God, it was by a burning bush. And as Shane said, that was a common thing. 
but it was, was an ordinary thing to see bushes burning, but it was unordinary. It was extraordinary for it not to be consumed. There was one day I was going for a run, going for a run. I wear contacts. I was sweating. My contact fell out. It's the worst. How many is that you have ever happened to? It's the worst. It sucks. I need a mirror to put my contacts back in. I cannot do it without a mirror. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, if you love me, which is dumb because he does. But I was like, God, if you love me, you allow me to put this contact back in. Put the contact back in. I was like going nuts, praising Jesus. Like, yes, this is the best day of my life since the day I was saved. Come on, Lord. (laughs) And what caught my attention in that moment was in that very moment, in the most ordinary thing of putting my contact back in, I experienced God in an extraordinary way. That's just like Moses did. Maybe God's getting your attention through these ordinary things that he wants you to know there's an extraordinary God behind them. Just today, I was having a conversation with somebody who said, I saw a word in a sweatshirt and a word on a billboard. And when they came together, I knew that God was telling me something. Two very ordinary things that when put together with Jesus were an extraordinary encounter for this guy. How's God speaking to you? How is he speaking to you? What are you passionate about? Moving on to Moses' story. He learns a little bit uh, that he cannot take on the burden of God. He strikes the rock. Uh, he takes it, it makes it his, he takes it on as his burden to defend God to the people. Instead of talking to the rock, he strikes the rock. Uh, instead of letting God be the judge of the people, he's the judge of all the little things. Instead of trusting God, instead of trusting the people that God had given to him, instead of trusting God with the people that God had given to him, let me say that again. Instead of trusting God with the people he had given to him, he trusted himself to be the judge. He started to feel himself a little bit. Moses was like, okay, I've done some signs. I'm the man, all right. God, I got this, I got this. I'm gonna hit that rock. God does not need us to reveal him to the world. It's not our job. It's not our responsibility. So often, I think it's my responsibility. Oh, I need to tell, it's it's on me to tell this person about Jesus. This person's not gonna know who Jesus is if I don't tell them. No, 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 no. That is God's opportunity. That's God's burden. What is it? What is our burden? What is our responsibility? To submit to God, to follow God, to follow Jesus, and to let him reveal himself through us. That's what Moses learned. It's not his job to reveal God to the people. It's his job to follow God. And him, him following God, God will reveal himself to the people. If you've been following Jesus and taking on that burden to reveal him to the world, let it go. Submit yourself to Jesus and he will reveal himself to you and to the world in ways that will blow your mind. Blow your mind. These are the things I want you to hear tonight. God created you on purpose. There's passions and things building up inside of you that you can't contain that God has put on your heart and he knows that that's one of the places you're gonna find the most life in. Submit it to God. Give it up to him and allow him to redeem and restore you. And as he redeems and restores you in those passions, he's gonna continue to redeem and restore this world to him. It's incredible. And if you've been following God, know that it's not your burden to change the world. It's your burden. It's not, it's not a burden, it's a joy to follow Jesus, to live into life in him. And as you give up your life to him, he's gonna give you an incredible life back. See, that's what Jesus did on the cross. We were reading this today as a staff. On the cross, when Jesus died and said, it is finished, he was completing the work of creation. 
And in doing so, we now whenever have the ability to interact with God and for God to interact with us. And when we give our lives to him, when we start to submit, when we start to realize that God is about us and for us, we are just as it was in Genesis, creation. It's new, not renewed. We are living into the purpose that we were created for in the beginning. It's Genesis stuff. It's creation. You're living into your purpose fully. It's good stuff. It's good news. That's what Jesus does. So guys, just as Moses taught his people to submit to God, to be strong and courageous, because God will never leave him and forsake you, I'm going to ask you to do the same. I think it's no accident that God told Moses to tell his people to be strong and courageous. Because that's what it takes. That's what it takes to let your life go. It's so easy to hold on to it and think, I got this. This is me. I got this. I've been doing it for however many years. But you're slowly dying. I was. And as, as I started to learn to be strong enough to let go, God revealed to me more and more who I actually was. And as he did that, he revealed more and more of who he was, who he is in this world. I'm asking you to do that. At least consider it. Come before God and ask him these two things. What are you most excited about in me? And what does it look like for me to give that up to you? Can you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much that you're with us and that you're for us, God. I thank you so much that your love has conquered death. God, I thank you that you have called us into life. God, I pray for each person in this room, each person listening on podcasts, each person that these people would interact with going out from here, God, that they would have real encounters with the living God of the universe because we have encountered you today. God, we thank you for your love. We love you back. In your name, Jesus. Amen.